0: Welcome to Beauty, the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a grassroots storytelling initiative that invites women to belong in the world with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, founder of The Beautiful Project and your host for this podcast. Out of everything that I get to create for this project, this part is definitely my favorite. There is just nothing like this experience that I've had with sitting down with women what most would consider to be ordinary women, and inviting them to a space that welcomes all of who they are. These women in these interviews are so raw and vulnerable and honest, and they are anything but ordinary. They respond to the invitation that I offer by giving parts of them that they normally hide from the world. And that is just such a gift. It's a gift that I love to share with all of you. Today's interview is with Jessica, Jessica is a photographer by trade, and not just any photographer, but the photographer for the Beautiful Project. She has given so generously of her time and her talent to help me create the imagery that really tells the story of the women who share themselves with the project. She's also a cancer survivor, a mama to a little man named Charlie, and is nearing the end of her pregnancy with her second child. Many months ago, she and I had a conversation about how this culture interacts with pregnant bodies. And together we agreed that this was a conversation that needed to be recorded for the people. Sometimes I find myself a bit stuck in the narrative about the impact of body size on belonging. But this interview was the most gentle reminder that the project is intended to invite all women to be embodied, all of the women in all of the bodies in any state or circumstance that these bodies find themselves including the state of being pregnant we dive deep into the cultural narrative the endless expectations that are placed on how pregnant women should look and we also circle back to the idea that the only way free from the story that binds us is to use our voice and invite others to do the same this interview was such a privilege i hope you'll find something for yourself in her words Cheers. Cheers. Welcome, Thank Jessica. you. Oh my gosh. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for coming. Are you kidding me? I'm so excited. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> thank you for yes. asking. Yes. <laughs> and actually, um, while we're on the band of thank yous, so just by way of introduction, this is Jessica, who has um, become my friend, I feel like. We don't have a
1: lot of history, but yeah. there's a lot of depth. For me, to the connection. Yeah, I feel like every time we meet, like we kind of connect on like some kind of really spiritual level about Correct. things. Correct. Exactly. Very cool. Yeah, we didn't have to create it; it was yeah. just there, which yeah. is
0: some of my favorite stuff yeah. in the world. So um, the audience would know Jessica mm-hmm. by your work because you're the photographer for the Beautiful Project. Yeah. Which is so amazing I say I know, that. And I like get a little bit giddy when I say it because I'm still just so grateful and honored by your willingness to do it. Oh my
1: gosh. It's, it's really been a really cool journey to be able to be around the different people that you interview and get little snippets of their story. But, um, you know, finding ways to use my art. Mm-hmm. To help women explore life, I think is yeah. it's it's just really cool, and I feel really honored that you asked me. Yeah. So it feels I love like, doing it.
0: It feels like a really perfect um, partnership to me. Yeah, it's really interesting because I have a like most creators, you can relate to this. I have an image in my mind about what I want the final product to look like, and I tend to not be able to articulate that completely because. Mm-hmm. I think that's a difficult thing to do, to take the thing in your brain and use words to paint it for somebody else to create. And I think that's okay. That's good, because I give you like two words. I'm like, this one should be hope and joy. <laughs> and then you do things, and then you give me back hope and joy. And it's just, I feel so privileged by that. And thats I, I actually think that that speaks to the spiritual connection, the fact that yeah you get what I'm saying. Yeah. And then you turn it into photos that are just stunning. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: So <laughs> this interview is a result of a couple of conversations that we'd had. When I first pitched the notion of the beautiful project to you, mm-hmm. um, you walked away from that interview, and one of the things you shared with me was, at some point, I'd really like to do uh, a piece about being pregnant in a body, how the world engages with that. And mm-hmm. you were, I think at the time, you were probably 20 weeks, a little bit yeah. right around there. Mm-hmm. And then the next time we saw each other was when you did the shoot, the yoga shoot, and then the shoot for um, all of the model interviews, mm-hmm. and you brought it up again, and I was like, well, do you want to write? Because I, I always like to try to tease out what it is that the person wants to do, right? Mm-hmm. its I mean, I kind of have an idea, but I also want you to bring the thing that, um, that you're comfortable creating to the table, mm-hmm. and so then... Uh, You were like, yeah, that's right. And then I realized that you were like, not going to be pregnant anymore pretty soon. (laughs) And we hadn't done anything. And I was like, let's just sit down and talk about it. Yeah. And let's just do it. Yeah. So that's how we ended up here. And um, I think to sort of find our way into it, I'll probably use a similar approach that I use with the other people that I interview. So I always start by saying, tell me something about your body story, particularly if it's comfortable to you. Um, maybe the moment when you went, oh my body's different from other bodies, or my body might not fit the way that other bodies fit, or my body fits perfectly. Just how you understood your body in relationship to the world.
1: Yeah, so I I think I went through um, you know, typical junior high, high school. My thighs are fat and all that kind of stuff, but I've I'm a petite person, I'm only five two, and so I've never and I've always been relatively trim. I've never had to really encounter that. Um, but then when I was 19, I was diagnosed with cancer, which I don't know if you know that about me. I don't. Me. Yeah, um, but that- I just took a giant bite of scone. <laughs> and
0: you go, I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 19. And I'm so simultaneously like excited about this turn that I didn't know. Anyway, go. Like,
1: like for me, it's just kind of, you know, it's 12 years ago, and so it's not like a big deal anymore, you know, but- um, I think that was a huge turning point for me and my body. Mm -hmm. Um, There were a lot of ways that I felt like my body betrayed me. Mm -hmm. and um, So I think that that was a time in my, well obviously it was a time in my life that I had to totally change my outlook on my body and Mm -hmm. what its purpose was. so how did that change? Like, tell me about that transition. Oh, well, I mean, for starters, I was 19. I was a sophomore in college. All I wanted to do was go out with my friends. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I was, like, being hospitalized for a week at a time, getting chemo. And, you know, that that's not what was supposed to happen in my life. And it took a long time to... Um, to learn to process that. I think there are times that I'm still processing that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when you encounter a traumatic event, whatever that event might be, Mm -hmm. it's not just something that you get over. Some people are really freaking resilient and they can just like get over stuff, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) not me, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's just something that I think you're always learning from, always kind of remembering, But, like, it's always in the back of your head. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's led to a lot of various anxiety, like hypochondriac to the T, you know? Oh, I imagine. So so. what was the prognosis? It was great, yeah. Um, Actually, we did chemo just kind of preventatively Mm -hmm. um, because my oncologist in Iowa City was like, well, you know, if it was my daughter, that's what I would want to do. And so Mm -hmm. we did that. And everything has been 100% percent a okay since then. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are times that I feel like, why would I even complain when some people, their prognosis from day one is terrible? And it's almost like that sense of survivor guilt, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, But something that I've also learned is that everyone's... um, anxieties and worries and concerns are relative mm-hmm. and um you know just because my prognosis and your prognosis were very different doesn't mean that we were, both weren't still affected mm-hmm. and you still have to process that yeah and trying to write it off like it's no big deal is not, not beneficial to either one of you you know
0: right so. and it's not that doesn't process it. it right. Just, it actually just um, dismisses it, and yep. minimizes exactly. it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Because real is real. hmm It's not. It's real to you. That's all the more that it needs to be. Exactly. Right. Yep. And you know, I think culturally, um, that cancer is something that even if you have a great prognosis, cancer conjures imagery oh, yeah. instantly, mm-hmm. and um, and I think. There probably isn't a disease that's more likely to trigger our um, fear of death or facing our mortality yes. in one instant.
1: And being faced with your own mortality yeah, when you're 19—that's—that's 19, 19. That's a trip. So, how does know. do you just speculate, or maybe you know exactly
0: how that changes? How did that change your
1: sense of being present to your life? It's very difficult because I'm always thinking in the future, what if, what if, what if? And so something that I'm always, always struggling with is staying present. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they say that depressed brains live in the past, anxious brains live in the future. Uh And um, I mean, I am always thinking what if. I mean, my husband, my son, what if, what if? Um, My own body, what if? And the what ifs will just to drive you absolutely Mm -hmm. crazy Mm -hmm. so it's hard yeah I bet it is yeah the thing you were talking
0: about too about processing it I would assume sorry I'm eating while I'm talking to you but I'm very hungry and I believe in eating when I'm hungry yeah um so I would assume that there was a tremendous amount of grief Mm -hmm. I think this would be the case so I think about the ways that I've interpreted my body betraying me uh, different from your, you know, your circumstance that led you to that conclusion, but I had to, I'm still probably processing through some grieving of the reality that um, that isn't really what happened. It wasn't an actual betrayal, you know, Mm -hmm. that there are um, other factors that influenced that. So when you were talking about the processing and how some people seem to process it quickly, just something that occurred to me, I was like, well, I wonder though, if that's similar to the grieving process that, and especially cause it's this, um, because cancer so linked to that mortality piece mm-hmm. that instead of actually grieving it or moving through it, you kind of go, Oh, I survived. I'm going to move past it. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. I think, I think my grieving has come up in other ways, um, through kind of PTSD style or, um, like, kind of experiences mm-hmm. and relating back. Um, but I think mostly what I've had to process is just fear.
0: Lots fear. Of fear, yeah.
1: Yeah. Hmm. And it's exhausting mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it never fully goes away. Mm-hmm. And... Now that I have more to worry about, right? like Babies. a baby and yeah. another one on the way, yeah. you know, it's kind of always present in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but grieving happens in different ways, I think. Mm-hmm. Like my first birth, I had a lot of grieving from that. It was a pretty traumatic labor and delivery. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, if you look at the checklist of what creates a, um, a traumatic labor and delivery. I hit all of them except for the fact that my son was born healthy and thriving. Um, wow. and yeah, I mean, it, it was a, it was a pretty traumatic event. Um, and anyone that knows me knows cause I talk about it a lot. <laughs> um, but grieving in that sense that I felt like my body had betrayed me mm-hmm, again, mm-hmm. that was a pretty major event. Um, and people telling me, you know, your body didn't betray you. You, Your body knew what to do. I'm like, no, it no, didn't. it didn't. That's mm-hmm. the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I think I'm finally, I've come to terms with as I'm getting ready to have another baby. So
0: <laughs> How do you come to terms with that? I'm curious actually. Or do you just go, well, I have to go through it again. So.
1: Um, I think learning more about what happened and the situation and I'm someone who likes to be very informed. Mm -hmm. I like to know what is going on. I want it all to make sense in my head, and if Mm -hmm. it doesn't, I work until it does. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I've been doing since Charlie was born for the last 20 months, is processing through that and what happened and what could I have done differently. And um, fortunately, I'm working with a really fantastic doula right now, and she's kind of helped through some things mm-hmm. and there have been some pretty major things that have clicked lately um, which is really great as I'm getting ready for birth again. again yeah mm-hmm. um, so it's it's been a learning process I think more than anything do you want
0: to share any parts of like what you So you just said that you're um, some things have clicked yeah so do you want to share some detail sure uh, about yeah. Maybe the like what happened and then the bridge and how you're approaching this, how how you think you're approaching this differently.
1: Yeah. Um, So I think I was doing everything I could to try to get the baby out as soon as I hit 40 weeks. Mm. And I think I like aggravated my uterus basically. Mm -hmm. And so I went in, um, and the midwife thought that my water had broke and she sent me right to the ER. I wasn't in labor at all. Um, I don't think. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that's clicked. I don't think I was ever actually in labor. I don't think my water had broken because they tried two other times at the hospital to break uh, my water. Okay. Um, and then, you know, blah, 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 everything that happened. Charlie ended up being occiput transverse. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't descending. For all intents and purposes, he was stuck. And that is something that no one made me aware of while I was in labor, including my doula at the time, um, which has been really frustrating to look back on. Mm-hmm. Um, because at our first meeting, my current doula was like, well, did you try this side laying position? And did you try this and this? And I was like, no. Right. And she was like, your doula didn't instruct you to do that. I was like, no, no, no one told me to do anything. Mm-hmm. I just thought you know, I'm laying here in this terrible pain and this is the worst thing I've ever experienced. Um, and when you have nothing to compare to, how would you right, know? Right, right. would have no idea. Oh, I mean, I had my own thoughts of like, this is going to be a perfect 8 to 10 hour labor and I'll push for like three pushes. Because you're, you're a super then...
0: informed person, so you were like exactly. hyper informed about how yes. this would go. Oh, for sure. 100%. Totally yeah.
1: Okay. And so like, I just knew... And, you know, I had my oils, and I had my doula, and my midwife, mm-hmm. and my very supportive husband, and we were all going to work together to birth this baby, and support me, and the baby, <laughs> and that... Sounds <laughs> went, like, the perfect hippie birth right Right? Now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I thought so. I mean, yeah. the only thing that would make it better is if I, you know, gave birth at home, which mm-hmm. for me just isn't a thing mm-hmm. um, that I'm going to do, but, you know, that all just, like, went to shit real quick. Uh-huh. <laughs> <And> <laughs> sounds so, like it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, this time around, I have no real expectations of birth um, because I'm afraid that if I go back to my, like, my hippie birthing story ideal, it's gonna you know, just go to shit again. You so. know what's
0: ironic? I will not be completely shocked if you tell a follow up story and you're like, it was the perfect hippie birth. Oh, God, stuff. I because, hope so. Because you're not setting the expectation, you know? I, know. I think sometimes those are so crippling to us, often often they're crippling, I think, in my life they are. Yeah. Um, so you were ready. I mean, I, well, this actually starts to play in some of the conversation about pregnant bodies and mm-hmm. the um, the sort of the old trope that women are supposed to love being pregnant and glow and can't wait, and blah, blah, yeah, words, yeah. And words, yeah. more words. So many words around this. Right. <laughs> um, and I think that much like most of the... Uh, Boxes that are available for women to fit into, Um, they're usually intended to keep us pretty and quiet and um, serve our purpose. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, for sure. And part of our biological purpose is to bear children. I mean, Mm -hmm. we are biologically wired to do that. Of course. And so, since we are made that way, why wouldn't it just be glorious, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I'm interested in uh, let's start actually with Charlie's pregnancy because you referenced I was trying to do everything I could to get this baby out yeah. like let's be done. Yeah. And I was with the, my first child, I actually when I talking about all three kids, <laughs> I was the same way. I yeah. was like I'm I can't breathe. Uh-huh. Or sleep, uh-huh, or eat without heartburn. Uh-huh. None of this is pleasant anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really need something to happen. So we two tried all the things. Uh-huh. Um so, I'm curious about your, your your experience of pregnancy the first time. Yeah. Wanna to talk to me about that?
1: Yeah. Well, I think I should preface what I'm going to say by the fact that I do think a woman's body, its ability to grow a human, mm-hmm. it's magic. Uh-huh. To grow a human and another organ and then birth that baby, mm-hmm. it is magic. It's nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... I feel lucky that I do get to experience that. That being said, it's a miserable experience growing a baby. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult on your body. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a woman who is like, I never experienced any pain at all when I was pregnant. You know, <laughs> I mean, you name the complication, mm-hmm. and it can affect a pregnant woman. Um, I I guess I should say there are tons of complications and you just never know how pregnancy is going to affect you. Mm -hmm. Um, With Charlie, I feel really, really lucky. I had a really smooth pregnancy. You know, I didn't have morning sickness. I was uncomfortable definitely towards the end Mm -hmm. and ready to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I kind of lost my train of thought. That's
0: okay. Okay. We are talking about the first pregnancy, and yeah. you were ready to be done. Yeah, but it wasn't like um, I know that when you and I have talked recently, you've had I feel like you've had a lot of sort of like stronger reactions to um, maybe not so much. Actually, no, a little bit to the physical experience of being pregnant this yeah. time, and then and then also to the um, experience of the way the world relates with your pregnant body, yeah. right? Go yes, ahead. were you going to say something? Okay.
1: You got it? So, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, like I said, I'm 5'2". There's nowhere for the baby to go but out. Right. So when I was 20 weeks, I looked easily 30, you know, and um, with Charlie and then with this baby also, the comments of, are you sure there's just one in there? Mm -hmm. And you look like you're going to pop. Oh, when you do, oh, you're not going to make it that long. Um, Stuff like that is, I've learned that it's just really, really annoying Mm -hmm. to deal with all of that. Um, And so what I end up saying is, um, you know, just telling people how uncomfortable I am, you know. (laughs) Um, And the other expectation is that when you're pregnant, you're supposed to... I guess, never be the woman that you were before pregnancy. Mm. Um, But at the same time, you're supposed to be the woman you were before pregnancy, physically, Mm -hmm. um, emotionally. You're supposed to just, boom, get right back on track. Yeah. Yeah. And I think because of my past health trauma and then birth trauma, I was really wounded spiritually Mm -hmm. i felt i felt sad and hurt and lost beyond just you know typical postpartum Mm -hmm. issues there were other things happening um but i lost all my baby weight in like two months and for all intents and purposes i looked how i had before by the time charlie was three months old and, but you didn't feel the same on the inside. No. And people would look at me and say, You just had a baby. And, you know, give me like the up and down and give me dirty looks. And, oh, we'll just wait till your next baby. You won't bounce back that quick. And all this stuff. Like, <laughs> like they treated me like I had been on a treadmill like every day. Like, that's genetics. I have nothing to do with that. Okay. Mm. Pause. But, when, pause. I don't, I don't want you to forget where
0: you are going next. <laughs> Because that's so important. You just said something really important for all of the listeners in this audience. You said that's genetics, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, one of the really important uh, takeaways for me as I've come out of diet culture and I've, and I've started to wake up to the idea that there's nothing wrong with my body. Is the acceptance of the, so culturally we accept the notion that genetics play into people being thin. Mm-hmm. Don't we? Oh yeah. Right? Easy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, she's just got, what do we say? <clears throat> she's got a fast metabolism. Mm-hmm. And we say things like lucky bitch, she can eat a, you know. Eat a sandwich once in a while. A, yeah, uh, why don't you have a sand- yeah. sandwich, right? <laughs> right? Okay, so we're totally comfortable with that notion. And then, um, but we, on the other end of the spectrum, what attributes do we do we put on people who are in fat bodies we never ever go well that's probably genetic too right we go they're not li- lazy uh-huh lazy
1: uh, eating fast, fast food, food. Or eating poorly yep. all the time
0: i'm i can't tell you how many times i have um intentionally put out in the world uh, actually a lot of the way that i've eaten and moved my body has been in direct response to trying to move away from that image. I'm not that fat person. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I will over explain my 17 millionth diet and the fact that yes, in fact, I do practice yoga all the time, but I'm trying to escape this like notion of, but I'm not that fat person. I'm not the lazy fast food fat person. And then I'm starting to wake up to the notion that even if I were so, and, and genetics don't play a part in that, Mm-hmm. you know so I just think it's it, it just it just uh, centered me for a second to realize how easy we are with thin people have a great genetic advantage right and we're good to just leave that alone yeah but we swing to the other end and we're like mm,
1: fat and lazy right well and I think it's kind of the same with birth in that society places these, These pressures on a woman like when I was pregnant with Charlie I worried you know well I didn't worry but I thought oh I wonder what I'm gonna look like after I have a baby you know all like you're growing a human what's gonna happen you Mm -hmm. know but I think that's just because everyone wants to feel like they feel their best Mm -hmm. and I realized actually very recently I didn't really care how I looked society told me I was supposed to care how I looked. You know, when you're flooded with photos on Instagram or Facebook or whatever of people who are, you know, back to rock solid abs two months after they have their baby. And when you're inundated with these images, um, you're taught to think you should feel one way. Mm -hmm. And when you don't, Mm -hmm. well, we just don't talk about that you know no, then it
0: it's like you're it's like that's the part that's broken the fact that you yes. don't feel that way
1: yes and like i did i felt broken after i had my baby because no one tells you the shitty parts about postpartum life, like that you never stop leaking, you never stop bleeding, you are so achy, you've got this baby constantly attached to you if you're breastfeeding, but it's going to be attached to you anyway, because uh-huh. my kid was also dealing with birth trauma, um, and but nobody talks about that. People only talk about, oh, the sweet little bundle of joy, yeah. and like that's not having a newborn. Newborns suck. They're Mm -hmm. really difficult to deal with. You don't get any sleep. You stink all the time. You know, they demand so much of you. Mm -hmm. And it's not like this beautiful, peaceful process. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. It's really raw. And I think that that's the beautiful thing about having kids, you know. Um, And being able to be a woman who births a baby. Um, I'm a fan of raw True, gritty Mm -hmm. real things Mm -hmm. and I think that that's why I like birth so much I could watch birth videos all day I just they fascinate me Um, but it's not this beautiful sunshine and rainbows that society wants it to be for us Mm -hmm. and I think that as soon as we as women because I have a lot of women say to me I wrote a blog post all about Charlie's Um, delivery and how just, just what it was. And I had so many people come up to me and say like, yeah, I had a really difficult labor too. It was terrible. Or, um, I've been very vocal this time around about how much I really, I I hate being pregnant. Mm -hmm. I really, really dislike it. And I have a lot of women say like, yeah, I really don't like it either. And like, this isn't like a secret that we have to share. It's okay to not enjoy being pregnant. Mm -hmm. You know, and the thing that I love hearing is, well, it's worth it in the end. Like, no shit. Why do you think I'm doing it? Like, I know it'll be worth it. Are you sure about that? Like, (laughs) I'm not sure. I guess we'll find out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like it's okay to not enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. You hurt. It doesn't feel good. The after process hurts. It doesn't feel good. Um and I think it's okay to connect with that a little bit mm-hmm. and not make it something that we run and hide in the shadows and talk secretly about.
0: It's you you uh you hit on something really uh true another really true thing you have all this truth that you keep talking and I keep making notes because they're like seven no I I want you (laughs) I want you to keep talking there are so many things that I wish that we had like a whole nother hour to expound on things like being hurt spiritually and the connection between spirit and body that you that you're clearly experiencing I mean the way that you um talk about it but I want to not lose this piece. So as you were um, laying all that out, I was thinking about the cultural narrative because I think a lot about cultural narratives Mm -hmm. in relationship to women's embodiment. Mm -hmm. And the narrative around birth... um, you know, we actually sort of see it played out, I think, too, in all of the narratives around breastfeeding. So, but let me play with this for just a second, and right. you tell me if it's broken, because I haven't been uh, pregnant for a long time, yeah. so I'm not really connected to that part of my story right mm-hmm. this second, but um, I have this, this obsession with the ways that um, the cultural narrative is intended to distract us from uh, real, raw, rooted, gritty truth. Yeah it's like it wants us to sit still and look pretty, mm-hmm. okay? And I don't think it's just true in relationship to our body size. Yeah. And so you're, the, the cultural narrative on the being pregnant part is, like, supposed to be glowy. You know, you glow like a pregnant woman should glow. You look at how glowing you are. hmm That used to actually make me want to throat punch somebody because I'm I'm like I just threw up that sweat right I'm
1: glistening because I vomited I'm gonna be like I'm wearing really good highlighter okay yeah I'm not glowing (laughs) right you asshole right yeah Um, anyway
0: glowing you know and um, look at her cute baby bump Mm -hmm. you know we've so we've made it this like weird almost princess like
1: story line and and then but. That makes me so uncomfortable also. Does it? Because so many people comment on my belly. So many people. Oh, I'm sure. Not only like how big I am and oh, when are you due? But oh, it's such a cute bump. Oh, it's, you know, you don't even look pregnant from behind. Or um, have you gained any weight? Like, like what Who's business is that? Right? Why? Like what what are you people talking about when you comment and it makes me so uncomfortable. So automatically what I say back is, oh yeah, and I'm really fucking miserable. You know, oh yeah, but I really hate it and because I feel like I have to try to negate the positive comments because I'm uncomfortable with them. I have to try I don't know. I'm like processing this right now. I was um, actually going to ask you what, so
0: what is it that, um, in an embodied way, because I think people also don't know how to interact because yeah. uh, it's uh, similar and unless they know better, they don't know how to do better. Right. right? So what, what question or, co- I mean, it comes from a decent place. The intent generally, I'm going right. to, I'm generalizing. I'm not everybody. So. As a pregnant woman, how do you want the world to interact with your pregnant body?
1: I want people to care how I feel. That's what I was gonna- That's what yeah. I was, that's what I was thinking you yeah. would say. Because yeah. nobody cares how you feel. They only care about how you look. Like, I, I want to feel like I look good. I think yeah. that's natural. But I want people to care how I feel. Like that was the hardest thing when I was reeling with this terrible labor and delivery that I had with Charlie. But I hurt so bad inside. And there was one woman who asked me in like the three or four week time period when I was postpartum how I was feeling. One person, how are you feeling, mama, is exactly what she said to me. And I, it, like, it took my breath away. I almost didn't know how to respond because no one had asked me. And I, I still remember, I just, I so appreciate it. And I realized that's how you communicate to someone Who's having babies? Is just ask them how they feel. Um, That's the very first thing I ask because I do a lot of newborn photography, Mm -hmm. which I love, by the way. Oh, I know. Newborns are really cute and they're squishy and adorable. Living with one is another story. Um, (laughs) But the very first thing I ask when I walk in is, okay, there's the baby. Cool. How are you feeling? Mm -hmm. And. I think I'm also someone who really is able to connect with people mm-hmm. um, beyond the "how are you doing," you know, and let's find out how are you. How is breastfeeding going? How sore are you? Mm-hmm. Um, because I want women to know that it's okay if you feel like crap. It's okay if you feel good. Yeah. But and it's okay to talk about it. Um, and I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. But I know the impact that one person made, mm-hmm. and so that's something that I try to carry with me when I'm talking to pregnant or postpartum women. Um,
0: Do you think that every woman probably would prefer um, that people cared
1: about how they felt as opposed? Because no. that's the dominant narrative. Yeah, isn't it? exactly. I think society teaches us that we don't feel; we look, and yes. so you want to look good, and you want to look like. You know the perfect little basketball-shaped bump, and after that, you want to look like you did before. And because the way we feel can be ugly, mm-hmm. and as women, we're not allowed to be ugly. Oh, that's so you cool. know, like we're we're not allowed to deal with the ugly parts of postpartum. Um, and that's really hard. And I'm kind of to the point in my life where I'm like, you want to know how ugly birth is? <laughs> like, you like, you want to talk, wanna about, talk it. about it? Yeah. It's. You know, it is what it
0: is. Well, that kind of circles me back up. So I was, um, that, so many, again, just, you just said so much wisdom and truth in that. Man, you're just blowing me away right now, but. I'm fired up. I love it. I love, love, love every second of this. Well, I'm also
1: really passionate about birth. I kind of mentioned that. I just, I think it's really cool. It is. And it's worth talking about and getting fired up about. So So I once heard this, uh, podcast with a mortician.
0: Okay. Okay. I'm going somewhere here. Um, where he talked about one of the problems with our, um, culture is that we have sterilized death. We don't, we don't get close to death. Hmm. And he talked about how he, um, that's his whole world is to get close to it and watch it, and he said it's actually extraordinarily. He used words like gritty and raw mm-hmm. and beautiful, but we're we've sterilized, we put it away, and so nobody's looking at it, and we pretty up the before and we definitely pretty up the after, right? Because we mm-hmm. do things to the body to make it look like it used to look. So I was thinking about how the birth experience is similar in that we um, have a narrative around the pregnancy part, glowing and bump and, oh, mm. so cute, and can't even tell from behind that you're pre- <laughs> all the things that dictate a, a culturally normative pregnancy. And we also are bound by the expectation that on the other side we have a soft, squishy newborn. Who, of course, smells great and is wonderful and all the, it's all beautiful. Mm -hmm. But we rob people of the central experience of giving birth. Yes. Because we don't get close to it. I mean, there are birth videos, but. We sterilize a lot of things because we're still so super puritanical, which is just so insane.
1: Like, men are taught to be up by the head. Yeah. And, like, you don't want to see what's going on down there. Yeah. Like, well, you were there when, like... You made it. Yeah. So... Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, And I think that's something... Man, it would be interesting to talk to a man about birth and what they feel like they're taught... Um, Oh, yeah. They have a role to play, too, in the narrative, for sure. Yeah, and it's to be up by the head and, good job, honey, you're doing great. And instead of, like, really encouraging her and telling her what a champion she is. Freaking warrior, yeah. Right. Um, I think if we connected more to the
0: central part of the story, actually, if we connected more to the misery through the entire story, but I think part of the way that we get there is by connecting to the raw I mean your body will not come closer to dying than it does when you give birth oh biologically this is true by from from an energetic perspective uh-huh. so it will never come that close to dying without dying okay so that is a human dirty bloody gory process yeah and we've sterilized it you yep. know because that's what we do when we yep. when we're uncomfortable with things yep. And so I think if we got more grounded in that gory, bloody, rooted, earthy warrior thing that happens, we'd get a hell of a lot more comfortable with the misery on both sides of the experience yeah. too. Yeah. I cool. love that um, you love birth videos, and I think that the fact—I think you're trying to ground to the realness of the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. I think that's what you're trying to say too to other people. Like, let's ground to the real thing that's happening.
1: Here. Yeah. Um. And. I think let's appreciate what is happening when you see this baby being born and the different ways women are able to birth their babies Mm -hmm. and the different environments and situations Um, because it, it is hard there's a reason people talk about birth being difficult it's hard it's long it is a labor but in a way, it's a labor of love mm-hmm. because you are getting ready to birth this human, and God, that's just so powerful. It is cool. so cool. It is. Um, but let's not negate what it is. Mm-hmm. You know. My um, my best experience—not
0: best. That's the wrong word. Um, the most fruitful experiences in my life have been the ones where I'm present to the suffering and to the joy. Yeah. You know, uh, where I haven't whitewashed the thing, where yeah. I haven't made it look better than it <laughs> yeah. was. Um, where my my suffering is, where I'm wearing it on the outside of me, and yeah. then uh, it heals. Mm-hmm. And I've and my experience is that when I let other people into that, that it heals them too. You know, I think this notion that we have to make it pretty and keep it secret and quiet and all those things, um, I think it robs other people uh, of the fullness of, of the, sort of that collective experience that we're yeah. all engaged in, you right. know? Wow. So I got to tell you, I, I this is really, really, I'm really glad that we had this conversation because um, as much as we're all... I have instincts often about what folks say and how they say it, you know, and I'm like, whoa, that wasn't very, uh, you know, connected or kind or whatever. But often it goes back to that, if I knew better, I would do better. Mm -hmm. And um, this has been eye-opening for me even to just, uh, we're all swimming in the cultural narrative that, you know, in which we find ourselves situated. Yeah. And so um, I will never, ever probably comment on uh, a bump again and it I, but but seriously but though but some
1: women appreciate that.
0: Yeah, that's fine. I you know. But I really but even the women who appreciate it, I still want that I, st- I still want for them to connect to the entire human experience yes. and be given permission to not have to perform for me. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? <laughs> oh my god, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Because uh they have to they probably feel like they have to perform for everybody else. Mm-hmm. You had that one woman who invited you into a space that was vulnerable. Yeah. It made a significant impression on
1: your psyche. Huge. Yeah. Um, because the first thing anyone talks about is, oh the baby, oh the baby. And they completely forget what you've just gone through yeah. for the well, for the last like nine and a half months of making the baby. Let's not even talk about if you're someone who has struggled with infertility or loss and that process to getting the baby. How are you doing now? Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, it. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> we have to make
0: more space for each other to be real in that.
1: Yeah. I think it also affects negatively motherhood when... Like, I, I didn't blame my son for my labor and delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't blame him for the way I felt. Um, but there was so much healing happening and so much that you know I was trying to process through. If it hadn't been for breastfeeding, I don't know what kind of connection we would have made right, right, right away mm-hmm. because people there just wasn't that room, that safe space, to talk about what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Well, without, and
0: without some space that's carved out, you, you, you're you right, you're, I mean, all of the real raw emotion that you have has to go somewhere. Yeah. And how could it not be on some level divisive to you and the tiny human who now needs all of you and you have nothing. You walked out of that with very little to give in the first place.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So you have six
1: weeks left. Mm-hmm. Although I've decided to move my due date recently. From, I read this. Yeah, yeah. from the 25th of May to the 17th. Um, so I'm expecting him on the 17th now. Excellent, I love that. Are we manifesting? I am. I think you like should. Like I've had a talk. And so I think that's where we are. The seventeenth sounds like a great day to be born. That's kind of what I thought. Mm-hmm. So I think that's lovely.
0: Yeah. Uh, what I, I don't want, I I know that you gave this some thought coming into this conversation, and I let it kind of just move around organically. Yeah. But I also don't want to leave out a major theme. If there's something that you're like, she didn't let me talk about that.
1: No, I I've honestly been trying to like mentally prepare for this uh-huh. for a few weeks and try to figure out what I want to say that is, you know, impactful and real and honest. But I think birth is so honest and, you know, the business of growing babies and having babies, it it's real. And I think just talking about what is real mm-hmm. leads to honest conversation, you know? Totally. You know, I'm just one person. This is just what I think. But I think... As long as we're just willing to support each other mm-hmm. and really embrace our shared experience of being women, yeah, I think we're on the right track. Me too. Um, Me too. Like, my pregnancy is not like me and random granny who comments on my stomach that's not our shared experience Mm -hmm. you know this is my pregnancy Mm -hmm. um this is my body this is my life and you don't need to comment on it Mm -hmm. what we can comment on is our shared spirit is our shared ability um as women and that kind of goes on and on our abilities um so just being mindful of what we say. I think also in this age of social media and everything is done by text and email, um, we're we're forgetting how to communicate, I totally. think. Totally. And I think that's a scary place to be um, because it just starts to disconnect us more and more and more. And what we need more than ever is connection, mm-hmm. real, genuine, authentic connection. I can't say it any better than that. So uh, <laughs>
0: seriously, literally nothing I have to add is at all in addition. That is exactly the truth. So thank you so much for your time and your, yeah. and your vulnerability and your truth and your story yeah. and bringing it to the beautiful project. And thank you for the four millionth time for the way that you capture oh the faces and the bodies of these women. It's my pleasure. I am so excited about what what we're gonna keep creating together.
1: Yeah, oh man, me too. Cool, Yeah. thank you. Thank you.
0: All right, friends, that's it for our chat with Jessica. She's something, isn't she? I was very serious when I said that she has changed the way that I will interact with pregnant women. I've grown to adore the experience of having my own unintentional bias brought to light, and she helped to do that for me during our conversation. I also adore the fact that she was willing to challenge the idea that pregnancy needs to be pretty, that birth needs to be tidy, and that a newborn baby is nothing but a bundle of joy. Honest voices are required for understanding and for connection, and her willingness to lend hers to this chorus of courage is exactly what we needed to make this song just a little more full of substance and strength. If you think you might want to hear more stories from women about their bodies, about beauty, and about belonging, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. If you loved today's episode, take a second and leave a review so that other people will be able to find us. You can find out more information about the beautiful project in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today and lending your voice to our chorus of courage as we work together to create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. I'll see you all soon.